Welcome to AIR Informs, and our podcast series about the different ways the coronavirus pandemic is affecting our lives and how we are handling the challenges it presents. Brought to you by the American Institutes for Research. I'm Dana Tofig. The impact the pandemic has had on education is unprecedented. School buildings are closed, and most districts are trying to continue teaching and learning by remote. This type of change is hard for any student in any situation, but it presents very unique challenges for students with disabilities, many of whom receive very specific supports and services when they're at school. In this episode, we're going to explore how the pandemic is impacting students who receive special education services and their families. We'll also discuss what steps teachers and parents can take to ensure the best possible outcomes in these very unusual circumstances. Our guest is Allison Gandhi, a managing researcher who leads the special education practice area at AIR. She has conducted research into special education programs and practices and is involved in two federally funded centers designed to improve opportunities and outcomes for students with disabilities. She joined us from her home near Boston, Massachusetts. So Allison, the shift to home learning has been hard on all students, but there are some unique challenges that special education students face. What are some of those? Yeah, well, first of all, I definitely agree this is challenging for all students. For students with disabilities, what's probably most difficult for them is students who require services that involve some kind of hands-on support or the physical presence of a person. So, for example, providing physical therapy services or occupational therapy services, those kinds of things require a person there to do that. Also, a lot of students with disabilities are used to having a one-on-one aid with them at all times in the classroom, or if not a one-on-one aid, um, they're used to having just people with them, multiple people, to help them get through the day. So that could be you know, helping them attend to physical needs, or helping them with behavior management, or helping them attend to an academic task. So all of those things are just really difficult to provide in this virtual environment. It seems that in some ways, this could end up being really hard on parents as well. Yeah, I mean, I think unfortunately what's happening is that because a lot of these services need to be provided in sort of a hands-on manner, that ultimately that's going to fall on the parent to have to provide those services. And in some cases, I think that could be fine. Um, Parents obviously know their children really well. They have been involved in writing the IEP, so they are very familiar with, you know, the accommodations and the services their child requires. But it's definitely not realistic to expect that the parent can provide all of these services in the same way that the staff could do so in a school setting. We know that parents are working, um, there are family responsibilities you know, they are attending to during this time, and also they don't necessarily have the specialized expertise that the school staff are going to have to provide many of these services. And a lot of the challenges that students and parents may face could really depend on the type and severity of disability we're talking about, right? Definitely. I mean, children who have very complex medical needs, for example, really need hands-on specialized care in the home. It will be difficult. In some cases, parents might be used to providing some of those medical supports in the home, but in other cases, they might need staff to still come support them in the home. Then you have students who might have learning disabilities where, you know, maybe their needs can be met through technology programs. Maybe they're already used to, um, you know, using certain kinds of instructional technology programs, and so this isn't so much of a disruption. And then there's students with um, emotional needs, behavioral needs, that can be especially difficult to manage in this kind of environment, especially when there's a disruption in your routine, there's a disruption in 
you know, the tools that you're using to access learning, um, trying to control impulses, for example, when maybe you're in a virtual learning environment could be very different than trying to control impulses in a classroom. So it definitely varies. The Individualized Education Program, or IEP, is at the foundation for the services and supports a student receives. Now, in most cases, though, it assumes that the student's going to school or going to a program to receive those services. What steps should schools and parents take to set expectations for the IEP in this virtual learning environment? The good news about the IEP is that just by definition, it's meant to be individualized and it is something that's meant to be changed over time and it you know, can change when a child's needs change or their environment changes. And it's also a document that is, it reflects a collaboration between the parents um, or the family and the school. And so all of those things make the IEP actually a really good foundation to work with in this environment. So in terms of you know, steps that parents and schools should be thinking about with respect to the IEP, I would say three things. I would say, first of all, this is actually a really good time to review the IEP, revisit the IEP, and think about changes that need to be made. So in a virtual environment, students might have different needs and there maybe should be different goals that the students should be working towards. So it's really important to look at that IEP and adjust the goals if needed. The second thing that's really important is to think really carefully about how we will monitor progress for that child. Collecting data is critical for students with disabilities. And so in this environment, how are you going to do that in a virtual environment? Often the parent will have to be more of a partner in that, but you can think creatively about that. So are there checklists that the parents can be filling out. Um, maybe the computer programs themselves have some kind of data collection capability, really take advantage of that. Maybe parents could be video recording their children, you know, engaging in some kind of activity and sending that to the teacher for them to collect data. So it'll be really important to think about that. And the third thing I would say about the IEP is, you know, this is a really unprecedented time. No one's been through this before. So if collaboration was ever important, it's definitely important now. And just to remember that families and schools are in this together. So it is really important to keep those lines of communication open, always be talking, to be really flexible, to be willing to try new things, and again, just work together towards um, meeting that child's needs in this environment. Even as we're working to get through the rest of this school year, what should schools and parents be focusing on as they look to the summer and to next school year and beyond that? Looking ahead to the summer, I would think about two things. One, again, going back to this issue of data and documentation, really paying attention to how the student is progressing and how they're coping in this environment, what seems to be working for them, what seems to not be working for them. And again, just tracking that data really throughout the entire summer. Um, so that when we start the school in the fall, we're kind of starting off hitting the ground running a little bit. We really have a good idea of where that child is so we can meet them where they are and move ahead you know, from that point. The second thing I think to think about for the summer is really important to maintain as much continuity as possible for the child through the transitions, the transitions from the school year into the summer and from the summer into the new year. And in terms of continuity, the things I'm thinking about are things like routine, just kind of keeping that structured routine for the child as much as possible. The activities they're engaging in, I wouldn't say necessarily they should be engaging throughout the summer in every you know single academic activity they've been working on, but if there's some kind of activity they've been doing that they really thrive in, to continue to do that through the summer. And then finally, the people that are interacting with the students. So having that continuity with, uh, for students with disabilities, they are 
probably in touch with many different adults, um, even during this virtual environment. So trying to keep those same people involved and communicating with the child throughout the summer, um, I think will really help in terms of keeping that child engaged and able to better access learning in the fall. And then thinking ahead to just next year and beyond, I think what's really interesting about this time is we can learn a lot from it. So just reflecting back, um, especially, first of all, for the student, there may be things about this new virtual environment that um, you might learn about the student. They might actually thrive um, on a virtual platform in a way that they didn't in the classroom, and that can help you really think about a different way maybe to um, provide services for them in the fall. Um, and I think it's also a really great time, again, for collaboration between the school and the family. It's a time for school staff to learn more about the child's parents you know, and family, get to know them more, and vice versa. And that really just sets up for a more you know, productive relationship going into the fall. Are there any organizations that parents or educators can consult with to get helpful resources or ideas? There's a lot of resources out there. So I think probably one of the biggest challenges is trying to kind of weave through all the resources and figure out what's um, going to be most helpful. But one place I would definitely recommend is the Department of Education, the Office of Special Education Programs. They have a site called OSEP Ideas That Work, and it's a really great compilation of resources on a wide variety of topics, and they have a good filtering function, so you can filter it by you know, age or audience um, or topic. I think also just in terms of getting support, the Council for Exceptional Children is one organization where they have forums for staff that you can go in and kind of if you have a question you can pose it and hear from other teachers around the country going through some similar challenges and also the national center for learning disabilities also their website is a great place especially for parents to connect with one another so those are all great resources i would recommend we will place links to the resources allison mentioned and others in the show notes which can be found on our website www.air.org. There you can also learn more about Allison and her work and AIR special education practice. And just a reminder, AIR Informs is now available on Apple Podcasts as well as SoundCloud and on the AIR website. If you use Apple Podcasts, just search for American Institutes for Research and subscribe and maybe even leave a review. Hey, thank you for listening to AIR Informs. Until next time, be well and take care.